welcome to Healthy Conversations, an eHealthSpace.org podcast. This week we talk with Marta Health Chief Information Officer, Mal Thatcher. In this week's podcast, Mr. Thatcher discusses Marta Health's place as a wave to personally controlled electronic healthcare records site, along with his organization's close relationship with the National eHealth Transition Authority. He also discusses the challenges of implementing technology in a large health organization. Mal Thatcher, CIO of Marta Health Services in Brisbane. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Congratulations, Wave 2 site. Successfully received uh, word of that just recently. Talk us through the process that you went through to, um, to receive that. So the process that we went through, Marta as an organisation has had a ICT strategic vision for how IT can be embedded in clinical workflow to do two things. One is to improve clinical practice and uh, by that we're talking about the efficiency of clinical care and the quality of the outcomes for patients. And the second is to improve the patient experience. And that's not just around clinical outcomes, but that's the way in which patients engage with us as an organisation, both physically on our campuses, but also virtually. And give us a sense of the scale of the project you're working on, either in dollar terms or um, the extent to which it goes through the systems. Well, we spend roughly 2% of our revenues uh, on IT, which probably puts us at the top end of that investment commitment um, and then our capital commitment. We commit anything up to around 50% of our discretionary non-capital works uh, capital to IT, which again is a big commitment by mm. the organisation. Coming back to your original question about how we approached the PCEHR Wave 2 grant was we looked at the components of that strategy in terms of what we were already committing to as an organisation, where we already had some momentum and uh, we chose an area that we thought the Commonwealth and NETA would be interested in, in terms of um, the demographics that we would be targeting, and that was around maternity patients. So we already have in place a uh, shared care protocol between primary care mm. physicians and uh, MARTA as an acute care provider around um, public maternity patients. So. This protocol that's in place uh, puts us in, a, in I guess, uh, good standing in terms of the change management because what we already have in it now is a cohort of primary care physicians that are actually literally signed up to this protocol. So they follow the clinical protocol around the way in which we share care between our public antenatal clinics and when the patient, when the mum goes back to the uh, primary care physician. Um, so we already have the established relationship with primary care. So all we're doing is e-enabling that sharing of information. Mm -hmm. um, from a technology point of view, we already have a number of the components to allow that. So in August last year, we deployed our MARTA doctor portal, which is our uh, external portal that GPs, for example, can log in and access all the electronic clinical information that we have about a patient. So we have some of the components. One of the components that we don't have yet, which we want to create, is the patient portal because part of the shared care protocol allows uh, obstetric patients to annotate their health records. So, for example, you know, well, did I have morning sickness today? Were there, were there any things that I felt uncomfortable about? So they've got a diary of that that they can take either to the antenatal clinic in the hospital or back to the GP. So we think we've got really some of the great en enabling components to allow us to be successful quickly 
with this, so it's not like we have to go and recruit GPs. I mean, we're still going to have to work with them in terms of the change management around them, embedding the collection of the antenatal data, the obstetric data electronically, and uh, the technology to allow us to transfer that information between the organisations. Mm. So and what did the funding do? So the funding will allow us to uh, target around 3,000 obstetric patients yep. across around 100 GP practices. Now some of those practices will already be part of um, the GPs that are using the external portal, which will be great, um, but some will be new to that. Uh, so there's change management exercise, education, training exercise, mm. uh, but we also need to um, create the patient portal that I talked about, so yep. funding will cover that. And we're hoping to leverage uh, GP partners as a wave one site mm. in terms of their HIE platform for information exchange so that, um, for example, when uh, a patient uh, presents at an antenatal clinic, this episode summary of that uh, appointment can, if the HIE platform from GP Partners wasn't available, then we would do a point-to-point -point interface, probably through a secure messaging service, um, such as medical objects, uh, but we're hoping that we'll be able to send that, that notification via the HIE platform, and because as part of Wave 2, GP Partners are working with the Brisbane South Division of General Practice, that they'll recruit um, GPs and those practices to use their platform. So we'll, where we can, we're going to try and leverage that, but we're not relying on that. If okay. that's not available, then we'll use other mechanisms. And what is the government expecting uh, by supporting you? What are they expecting you will contribute to the broader e-health agenda? So part of the commitment uh, under the funding arrangement is that we align ourselves to the, to the need to stack. Hmm. So that means that we would wrap any messages, any episode messages, um, be it coming from the GP or going to the GP in a CDA compliant document. Okay. So you know, in terms of continuity of care document. Um, so that, that all those messages will conform to that. Mm -hmm. We're also hoping to leverage the health identifiers mm -hmm. uh, and we've already commenced work internally in terms of our systems, our patient master index, uh, the way we do matching. Uh, we've applied for our HPIO, so our identifier as an organisation. Mm -hmm. um, we also have done a lot of work around our own provider directory in terms of extending that for HPIOIs. Um, so we, we think we're in a, in a pretty good place to have a lot of the foundation components mm. so that we can, as NETA, release various parts of their stack that we'll be able to utilise those. So that's an expectation of the government that what we do aligns to that. Now ultimately, in terms of the clinical episode summaries that we're going to be deploying, uh, the, uh, the current NETA strategy around the uh, operation of the PCHR, uh, there'll be a national index of e-health information, so we'll be able to push information into that index, and if it's decided that episode summaries will go into a national repository, then because we're already going to be CDA compliant in terms of the information that we're passing 
be it through HIE as a platform, through GP partners or directly to the GP desktop, then it's clearly quite easy for us to push that into that national repository. So uh, the way we've architectured our portal strategy, so we already have an internal clinical portal, a clinician portal, we have now our external clinician portal and we'll be creating the patient portal. We've done a service-oriented web services, service-oriented architecture around that. So all the data delivery, be it uh, in terms of consuming data by clinicians or pushing data, yep. um, it's very easy then to push them to whatever repositories we want. Okay. And you mentioned the, the need to stack. How well developed do you think that is? How mature uh, is it at this point in time in terms of you being able to comply with all of these expectations? Uh, it's, it's not particularly mature yet in terms of actual available components, but a lot of work is being done nationally and we're starting to see progress. So the Northern Territory, for example, working on secure messaging, I think is, is a great thing. And obviously a key component of us sharing information is that we do that through a secure messaging framework. Uh, there are commercial partners or commercial suppliers of secure messaging and so we're looking with interest as to how the work being done around that is going to um, lessen the financial burden of using those secure messaging uh, services. Um, and the work around the NASH, so the authentication services, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the, uh, at the moment we rely on external clinicians to use their Medicare issued PKI certificates. Mm -hmm. So that's how we authenticate. Obviously that will be replaced by the new smart card tokens that will be issued to clinicians and we'll be using that authentic those authentication services. So okay. we're aware of the stack components that we think will be in place by the time uh, we deliver our, I guess, uh, um, obligations under the funding, which is by June 2012. Yes. Yeah, you know, we're we're aware of the components, but we're not, and and nor have the, has the government mandated. We're not relying on those components being available, yeah. but we need to make sure that we align the solutions so that when they are available, we can easily just replace the bits yep. that we've put in. You know, as a, I guess as a backup to those things being there. Gotcha. Just finally, one of the great tensions, if you like, is between the um, the GPs or the clinicians and the technology people like yourself, you obviously see the world through um, technical eyes, not exclusively, but um, certainly much of the conversation we've had around is, is systems and compliance and, and building out the structures. How do you work with them to make sure that the clinician's um, perspective on workflow, just basic procedures and so forth, are embedded into all of these systems? Yes. Uh, well, I don't think MARTA has a unique approach to this, but we have a very purposeful approach to this around the, the way in which we govern our projects. Uh, so at the highest level, our IT governance framework is governed through our executive team, of which I'm a member. Uh, and sitting below that, we have a number of steering committees, uh, one of which is around our EHR program, and that is largely a committee of senior clinicians within our organisation. Uh, I, I do chair that. Um, the sponsor of the program is our CEO, but we have very broad representation from senior clinicians in terms of those steering committees. And we have others where, you know, appropriate stakeholder representation. I think the fact that we have the highest level of executive sponsorship that we can is, is a key factor and the fact that our executive team is the ultimate decision-making body around it. Yeah. We have, though, been uh, very conscious of the fact that in health, 
you can't come in with a big sledgehammer, and um, which some of the state jurisdictions have done, to say, okay, you're going to implement this EMR, and you know, you will do it from this day, and mm. and you'll just like it. Mm. Um, we've very much allowed our senior clinicians to lead the clinical IT agenda, mm. so not the technical components yep. of the IT agenda. Yep. That clearly is outside yep. of their sphere of, of knowledge. Because you want them to trust this system, don't you? That's Absolutely. the bottom line, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, you know, a good example is that as we rolled out the clinical portal, so we had a, um, you know, we have the equivalent of a chief medical information officer who is the strongest advocate. Yep. Um, the clinicians are actually driving what they want the portal to achieve in terms of clinical practice. And the big focus at the moment, and, and to some extent the only focus, is around results acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Now this is the process whereby, particularly in an organisation like us, which is a teaching hospital with a, rotation, you know, a lot of rotation of medical staff, the, the doctor who orders a test is not necessarily available to review the results of that test. So how do you make sure that a result that has an abnormal indicator gets, you know, gets acknowledged and uh, processed and actioned? Um, so that's a clinical safety issue and the clinicians have been very clear that that's the number one priority for us at the moment is putting in place a results acknowledgement system. Now you might say, well that sounds pretty straightforward, but our research has shown that around the world it's not very well done. Mm. In fact, there are very few, if any, organisations that actually crack this. Mm. Why and, is it so difficult? Um, it's because of the issue around uh, work units. So the, the real question is who is ultimately accountable for the patient. Yes. And in tertiary hospitals in particular, it's actually a multidisciplinary team. Mm. So it's not a single individual who's responsible for a patient. Right. So uh, building a, a workflow, an electronic workflow that manages that and makes sure there's appropriate escalation within agreed timeframes is not a trivial exercise. No. So that's our focus and our clinical leadership is actually driving that agenda and they're, they're having the discussions, which is great from my point of view, about what are the next things we want to tackle. So I'm very comfortable within our organisation because they feel they own it and you know the most calls I get from the clinicians, uh, the senior clinicians, is around you know you better make sure the system's available 24 by 7 because our people are really relying on it. Yeah, you know, 20, 24 by 7. Which is one of the great challenges of technologies. We want it up all the time. So, yes. Good luck with that task, Mel Thatcher. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on Healthy Conversations. Check us out on the web where you can also join the conversation or leave a comment on today's show. You'll find us at ehealthspace.org/slash multimedia or search for eHealthSpace on the iTunes Store.